welcome to the Nutrition Science Podcast, where we help you cut through the noise and make informed, science-based decisions about nutrition and your health. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Adrian Chavez, and today we have another Q&A episode. And we are going to cover four topics today that I've been getting some questions about recently. And those topics are the anti-spike supplement uh, that was just released by Glucose Goddess. If you don't know what that is, I will explain what that is. Um, and then 10,000 steps per day. Is there a reason that you should be getting 10,000 steps per day? Is this a cutoff that everyone needs to shoot for? We'll discuss that. The third topic that we're going to discuss is nutrition for older adults. So is there anything special, anything specific that individuals need to be focusing on? As you get older, uh, when it comes to nutrition and taking care of your health. And the last thing that we're going to discuss is the blood type diet. Is there any truth to it? Is there any value to it? We'll go into a little bit of detail about that. Before we get started, I want to thank you all for those of you who have been reviewing the show, who have been sharing the podcast, who have left donations. One of the things that I have now decided to do, and this is what I'm going to do for future Q&A episodes, uh, because one of the questions that was submitted uh, was submitted along with the donation. And I think this is a really good way to solicit questions for the Q&A episodes in the future. So I have a PayPal link that I put in the show notes. This is a link where you can leave a one-time donation for any amount that you want. And there's a notes section in there. And what I want to do in the future is if you want to ask a question for the Q&A episode, uh, you just click on that link and leave a donation of any amount that you want. And then in the notes, just put what your question is. And this is how I'm going to solicit questions for future Q&A episodes. So I am going to take the questions from there first. If I start getting a lot of questions through that method, I might actually add a podcast episode because the Q&A episodes are a little bit easier for me to put out. I don't have to plan as much. I don't have to prepare as opposed to an interview episode or something where I'm going into a little bit more depth about a particular topic. And so I can put these out a little bit more frequently if more questions start to come in. And I don't want to answer any random questions because I get a lot of questions through my social media and through every other avenue. But this is a great way to filter and screen questions from people who listen to the show and from people who are really interested in having their question answered. So that's how we're going to do it moving forward. So if you want to ask a question that will be featured on a future Q&A episode, go to the link in the show notes, and it's going to be the PayPal link. So if you want to ask a question that will be featured on a future Q&A episode, go to the PayPal link in the show notes, leave a donation, put your question in the notes, and it will be featured on a future podcast. So with that said, let's go ahead and jump into the content of the episode. So the first thing that I want to talk about is a supplement that was just released. So if you're not familiar, there's a woman who calls herself the glucose goddess and her entire platform is centered around reducing glucose spikes or reducing the response, the blood sugar response to eating meals. And I've talked about this topic before. I have an entire podcast episode that I will link into the show notes about glucose spikes and whether or not they're harming your health. I highly recommend checking this out. If you've seen this type of content around you've been concerned about it, you are wondering whether or not this is something that's important for you. Um, what she has done, this glucose goddess person, is she has created this idea that any rise in blood sugar after we eat a meal is harmful. And she has termed this a spike. She has told everyone that spikes kill you from the inside out. I reposted a, a video she did where she said, when your glucose goes up, it starts cooking you from the inside out. This is she has just scared people into thinking that any increase in glucose after eating 
is a bad thing. And when I say glucose, that just means sugar. So any increase in our blood sugar after we eat is a bad thing. But as I discussed in the previous episode, we are supposed to have an increase in blood sugar after we eat. That's how our body transports and sends energy to where it needs to go. There's also increases in blood fats, also increases in blood protein when we eat fat and protein. That's how it works. Our body transports that energy to the tissues that need it. And when it does that, that energy goes through our bloodstream. This is not a problem unless that energy stays in our bloodstream for a long period of time, in, in which case you would see increases in HbA1c, which is a marker for diabetes that pretty much everyone gets tested when they go to the doctor. So you don't necessarily need to worry about individual glucose spikes. HbA1c is what's important. Overall blood glucose control is what's important. Now, again, I go into more detail about that in the podcast episode that I'll link in the show notes. When it comes to this supplement, the reason that I want to bring it up is because of the marketing strategies that are at play. So what this woman did was she convinced people that an increase in glucose was a problem. And then she came out with a supplement that is designed to help block some of the enzymes that break down carbohydrates so that your blood sugar will increase less after you eat a high carbohydrate meal. So if you had a piece of cake and you took the supplement, your blood sugar would increase slightly less based on the data that has been done in the ingredients that have pl are placed into this supplement. So there's mulberry extract, there's cinnamon, there's a few other ingredients that are placed into the supplement that can interfere with carbohydrate digestion so that your blood sugar goes up slightly less after a meal. Does this have any health benefit? Absolutely not. But what she has done is convince people that there's a problem and then created a solution for that problem. And this is marketing in the health and wellness space. This is the way that it works in many cases. You have leaky gut. You have adrenal fatigue. People will convince you that you have a problem that you don't even know you have. There's no verification that you actually have it. They have made you believe that this is a problem. And then on the other end, they have a solution to sell you. Be very careful when people are doing that, when they're honing in on one thing and saying it's adrenal fatigue or it's leaky gut or it's blood sugar control and creating this into the problem that is negatively impacting your health and the main thing that you need to solve in order to improve your health and then having a solution for that. That is the textbook marketing play in the health and wellness space. Be careful, pay attention to it. When you see people making everything in health out to be one thing, whether it's animal foods, so people who promote a vegan diet, they'll tell you that you know the solution is to avoid animal foods. On the other end, people who promote a carnivore diet tell you the solution is to avoid plant foods. Everyone who has this simple solution or this, you know, they're creating this problem. Plant foods are trying to kill you, which is not true at all. They create this problem and then they have a solution. Follow my carnivore diet. You want to be really careful when you see people implementing this strategy. They're just trying to indoctrinate you into a belief system so that they can sell you something. So that is the glucose spike supplement. Number two. Is there any reason that you should be shooting to get 10,000 steps per day? Is this uh, where health benefits occur is if you take 10,000 steps per day? Um, this topic is, I've gotten a lot of questions about it, and I'm, I'm glad that it came up again because uh, I think it's important to discuss. So the 10,000 steps per day comes from research looking at individuals and trying to assess activity levels and health outcomes. So when we're trying to determine how active someone is, we have two options. We can ask them how active they are, or we can measure it directly. 
And asking people is one of the least accurate methods possible. People completely lie about how active they are when we compare what people say versus their actual activity levels. There is a huge disconnect. So the best thing to do is to actually measure activity levels. Now, that's not easy, especially 40 years ago, 30 years ago, 20 years ago, when technology for Apple watches and other tracking devices didn't really exist, wasn't widely available. What we did have was step counters. So in the research, when we're trying to assess how active someone is, we put a step counter on them. And the data shows that people who take more steps have better health outcomes. And this is a linear relationship. So from 2000 to 4000 to 6000 to 8000 to 10,000, there continues to be benefits when activity levels go up and it starts to kind of level off after 10,000. Now, what does this mean? This doesn't mean that there's any magical benefit of taking eight or six or 10,000 steps. This is showing us that there is just benefit and living a more active lifestyle. And it's not about the step count. The step count is just a way that we are assessing activity throughout someone's day. So it's not that 8,000 or 10,000 steps is some magical number that everyone needs to get to. It's that being sedentary less often and moving your body in any way possible has health benefits. And when we look at people who take more steps, they're just moving more throughout the day and they're being less sedentary. And this is where the health benefit really comes from. So my recommendation around this is you don't necessarily need to shoot for a specific number. Now, if that helps you to have a goal, because that can be helpful from a psychological standpoint to have a very specific goal and to shoot for it and have a concrete understanding of whether or not you're reaching that goal. But if you're hitting that goal by taking steps around your bedroom because you want to get to that 10,000, you're missing the point. The goal would be to try to create a lifestyle that consistently gets you closer to that 10,000 steps as opposed to trying to hit 10,000 every day. Now, how do you do that? Now, you do that by sitting less and laying down less and doing things that cause you to be standing up and mobile more often. And that can be anything. That can be gardening. That can be uh, going to a park. That can be going for a walk. That can be parking farther at the grocery store. That can be going to the grocery store versus picking up your food. That can be any number of things that cause you to move your body a little bit more. This is what's important. The actual number of steps, actually taking steps, this is just a proxy. It is the way that we assessed people's activity levels. But what's important is not the steps, but the activity level. And like I said a second ago, if shooting for a certain number of steps helps you to be more active and it helps you to be more mindful about being more active, then that can be very beneficial for you. I think that can be really beneficial for a lot of people and can help create a clear target. But the goal would be to build a more active lifestyle as opposed to just getting more steps. So I would focus there. You know, I get this question a lot and I've seen people and worked with people and been around people and had friends who they get this step goal in their mind and they, they end up, you know, just walking circles around your room or around your house to hit your 10,000 step goal at the end of the day is not a sustainable or healthy habit. The goal would be to build a lifestyle that causes you to be more active, that increases your step count as a result of the fact that you're just more active 
and ideally more active in things that you enjoy as opposed to walking in circles around your bedroom. So focus on building out more lifestyle activities that you enjoy that you can incorporate into your life and reducing the amount of time that you're spending sitting and laying down. That's really the key, reducing the amount of time that you spend sedentary sitting or laying down. All right, so next topic, nutrition as we age. Um, when it comes to aging and nutrition, there are only some minor modifications that we need to make, particularly as we get into the older ages. So first thing, metabolism and our body's energy needs. So recent data has shown that our body's energy needs generally tend to stay pretty much the same unless we're losing muscle mass over the course of our lifetime until we hit about 60. And then at that point, that's our metabolism starts to slow a little bit. So as you get into older ages, you're going to need a little bit less calories in order to not gain weight. So this may be something that you have to mindfully do is reduce your calorie intake a little bit in order to not put on excess body fat. Now, putting on a little bit of body fat after you're 60 years old is not a big deal. It's not going to have a major negative effect on your health unless you're already uh, carrying excess body fat. But if you aren't carrying excess body fat and putting on a few pounds of body fat after you turn 60 is probably not going to have a major negative impact on your health. Now, if you gained a bunch of weight during that time, you know, you gained 20, 30 pounds after you turn 60, that it's definitely going to have a negative impact. But if you put on a few pounds as your metabolism slowed and you from 60 to 70, you gained a couple of pounds of body fat, not a big deal. Okay. So one of the things though, that does occur after 60 is your metabolic rate and the amount of calories that you need at rest is going to go down a little bit. So you want to try to maintain those activity levels and you might want to adjust your energy intake in response to that as well. Another thing that can occur is protein utilization goes down as well. So it takes a little bit more protein to achieve the same amount of muscle protein synthesis or stimulation of muscle growth in older ages. So as we age, we may want to slightly increase the amount of protein that you're consuming as a proportion of your total diet. So um, if you're, let's say, for example, you know, you were eating 1.2 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. As you age, you might want to increase that a little bit. So favoring protein a little bit more heavily is probably a wise strategy for older adults as well. Uh, this also has the added benefit, as we've discussed. I have a full episode on protein that I'll link in the show notes as well. But protein has the added benefit of helping with satiety a bit. So if you're eating a little bit lower calories and you're eating a little bit more protein, that can help with some of the extra hunger that may come about when you reduce your calorie intake. So reducing calorie intake a little bit, increasing protein intake a little bit, and micronutrient absorption may also be impaired to a certain degree in older individuals as well. Stomach acid starts to go down and the absorption of nutrients may be impaired a little bit. So another thing that I would also focus on is making sure that you're getting your micronutrient needs met through your diet. And if not, then supplementing with the appropriate micronutrients to ensure that you're getting those needs met. So this is a case, older individuals where micronutrient supplementation, potentially taking a multivitamin, potentially taking a calcium supplement, potentially taking a magnesium supplement may actually be more necessary due to the fact that nutrient absorption can slightly go down. And if you're eating a little bit less calories, then you're probably going to be getting a little bit less micronutrients as well. But outside of that, general healthy dietary principles apply. Those are really the main adjustments that I would recommend is just reducing calorie intake a little bit, increasing protein intake a little bit, or at least ensuring that you're eating enough protein. And general guidelines and recommendations are about 1.2 to 1.6 
grams per kilogram of body weight. So you probably want to be closer to that higher end, 1.6, maybe even all the way to 1.8 grams per kilogram of body weight, and even all the way up to one gram per pound of body weight, which is 2.2 grams per kilogram of body weight, may be appropriate to minimize muscle loss with aging and also help with satiety on a lower calorie diet. And currently there's no evidence to suggest that consuming a higher protein diet has any negative health effects on our kidneys or on cancer risk or anything of that sort, particularly if the protein is coming from a mix of plant and animal-based sources. Again, I'm going to send you to my protein podcast if you want to listen to more information about that. I'm going to put a link in the show notes, but the protein podcast is going to cover all of the important information that you need to know about meeting your protein needs. So if you're a little bit confused about that, when I'm discussing it right now, definitely make sure to tune in to that episode. And the last thing that we're going to discuss is the blood type diet. So this was a diet that was popularized a couple of decades ago. There was a book called Eat Right for Your Blood Type that was published by a guy named Dr. Peter Diamato. I read that book quite a long time ago. I actually thought there was some truth to it when I first read it because I read it when I was first getting into nutrition and I was believing all the information that I was coming across to a certain extent until I was able to validate it. And I just thought these people were smart and had useful insights. But turns out this is completely bogus. This is completely made up by Dr. Diamato. There's no evidence to support anything that he's claiming in this book. He just completely makes stuff up. He uses the evolutionary argument saying certain blood types have certain ancestry and require certain foods. There's no evidence for it. It's been studied in a clinical trial as well. There was no benefits to following a blood type diet. This is just completely bogus. Um, and this this is one of the things that for me was really eye-opening because I read a lot of these books early on and I thought there was truth to them. And I was like, oh, well, this person understands a different angle and this person understands a different angle. And I read all these books and was completely confused because I was like, well, the blood type diet seems to make sense. And then this diet seems to make sense. And the reality is a lot of these people are completely making stuff up. Most of the books on the New York Times bestselling list in nutrition are just really good stories paired with some completely random set of nutrition rules and guidelines that they want you to follow that you may feel better because they're causing you to take out some unhealthy foods in your diet. I do not recommend this at all. If you see anyone promoting a blood type diet, understand that they are not a credible source. There's absolutely nothing behind this. There's no reason to be following a blood type diet. Uh, nutrition is a lot more complicated than that. And what's going to be best for your personal nutrition is going to depend on a lot more factors than what blood type you have. So quick recap. Uh, first thing that we discussed is the anti-spike glucose supplement. This is a textbook well-executed marketing play where this glucose goddess person convinced people that there's this problem with glucose spikes and created a solution for it and is going to make a lot of money off of people who believe this and who think that this supplement is somehow improving their health when it's not. Unfortunately, this is how the nutrition space works. This really bothers me because I see nutrition as a form of healthcare, and this really bothers me because I see nutrition as a form of healthcare. And I don't think that people should be preyed on in this way. Second thing, 10,000 steps per day. Is there any reason to get 10,000 steps per day? Is this a magical number that we should all be shooting for? The answer is no, uh, but there is a lot of benefit for living a more active lifestyle. And if you're living a more active lifestyle, you're going to take more steps. And that's a good thing. Okay, number three, nutrition for older adults. When it comes to nutrition for older adults, you're going to need to reduce your calorie intake a little bit because your metabolism is going to slow down after 60. You're going to need to increase your protein intake a little bit because it's going to be harder for your body to take those amino acids and use them to create new tissue. 
And we need to just pay more attention to micronutrient intake because the absorption of micronutrients can be slightly impaired as we age. Last thing, blood type diet, complete scam. If you want more information about some of the resources that I mentioned in this episode, make sure you check out the show notes. And if you want your question answered on a future Q&A episode, go to the PayPal link, leave a donation of whatever you feel like, and put your question in the comments, and I will cover it on a future episode. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. If you appreciate the show and you haven't already, I would highly appreciate it if you left a review on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to the show. That's what helps get this podcast out to more people, along with sharing the episodes, which I also really appreciate. So that's all I have for this episode. I hope you all have a great week, and we'll talk soon.